Yes, hello folks, welcome to the weekly Manchester United podcast. I'm your host, Phil Bram. I am flying solo today. I decided to do this by myself today because Colin is on his way back from Lost Wages after watching the Ryan Garcia Tank Davis fight this weekend. Uh, I was on holiday the week before and I had my kids home from American Spring Break and I've got more kids than Bernardo's. So, uh, no chance of getting peace and quiet to do this podcast. So, thanks to all of you. For following me, thanks for listening to this podcast, and I apologise to those of you who'll have to watch this. I see this face, unfortunately, normally you see I'm crying much, you're now seeing it on a podcast, so thank you very much for taking the time to listen to this. Lots of stuff to talk about today, of course, we look back at United's win yesterday against Brighton, which I think uh, don't get enough credit for, against a very, very good Brighton. You know, lots of people think Brighton... And you think about their history, you think about the fact that they're, you know, a mid-table football club for the most part. But that's really the wrong way to look at Brighton. Brighton are a team that should be on the verge of top four. And they were robbed against Spurs with a couple of games in hand. They've already beat United this season at Old Trafford. They beat them comfortably at the IMAX last season. They're an exceptionally good football team. A model football club and how they run. And I'll tell you something, that midfield... Whilst I admire that midfield, I can't tell you how mixed my emotions are when United are linked with Caicedo. Because as much as I would love him at United, it's always tinged with a piece of anger that United didn't sign him. When he was available for 7-8 million, now we're talking 60-70 million. So unbelievably frustrating for United fans when you're linked with those types of players that really should have been at the football club. You know, Solskjaer takes a lot of grief, but remember, he was the man that wanted Bellingham, he was the man that wanted Holland. Uh, City, I see, are negotiating Holland's contract to get his buyout clause out. Remember, the reason why United passed on Holland was because of his buyout clause. Had United have signed Holland, the probability that he would have went to City would have been extremely low. And you could have negotiated his contract to get that buyout clause out, not to mention... The trophies you probably could have won with all his goals. Um, but that would have required foresight from an investment banker being director of football. And as I said on Twitter, a lot of United's problems that you see this season are a relic from that debacle. Or that debacle. Uh, debacle? Yeah, sorry. Try to use big words in the camp. Uh, era. Um, the Ten Hag has done so well to emerge from just one season. Back at our second domestic cup final this season which we could never take for granted. Um, I tell you something, it's nice, penalties or not, to be winning those types of games. Um, so many times we got close in the past. You know, I, I think of the Real penalties. And United lost that. This time, we won. Um, and of course, beat Newcastle in the final. And those who think that City will just walk all over United, it's always possible United could put an on-field performance in or a City away performance in. But it's also possible they could put an on-field, a Liverpool at home performance in and a City performance at home. Um, remember, United beat City at home without Lissandro Martinez. Luke Shaw was a centre-back that day. So, who knows what is going to happen by the cup final. Holland could be injured. They can have a couple of injuries. And I'm not saying that it's a choice. Obviously, you prefer still to be in the Europa League. But if I did have a choice between still being in the Europa League and the FA Cup, I'd pick the FA Cup simply because 
it gives United a chance to stop City winning the treble. And there is no greater incentive for those players to do that. Um, you know, they've been here before. They were there with Liverpool. I think it was, it was 77. So, um, yeah, that's something that uh, I'm grateful for. And, I, you know, people saying, well, you know, yesterday, if they play like that against City, they're going to get drilled. I think a couple of things you have to remember. United played on Thursday. Uh, very difficult away game. They had two unfit forwards in Rashford and Martial. They had an unfit left back at centre back. Very good that he is. They were missing three centre backs. They're a centre back pairing. Um, they, Ericsson was playing his third game in a week despite being out for a long time. And you know, it's funny, we look at other football clubs if they get one or two injuries, Arsenal is Saliba. They claim that's why they're no longer winning the title. You know, but this never gets factored into United's performances or why they don't win games or why they lose games. Um, we know that squad's not big enough. We know the squad isn't good enough. We know the options that are on the bench are not anywhere close to the quality of the players that start. And this is not an easy problem to fix, by the way. You know, getting squad players, and this is why with Salib, or with uh, Sabitzer, I would lean towards Sandin. Not Veghorst, but Sabitzer. Because I think trying to get squad players that are of a certain value, that are willing to sit on the bench and not be in your best starting 11 every week, is hard to do. Because it's, the bench is usually filled up with one of two types of players. You're either getting young players on the bench um, that are coming through your academy, and I don't think you need to have enough of them, or they're of the required level. It'll be interesting to see what happens with Diallo. Um, I think they'll sell Mabry and a few others. Um, I think Diallo has a, has a chance of coming back to United and playing his part. Um, but you know, the likes of Van de Beek aren't good enough. He's had too long to show. I know it's been unfortunate with his injury, but you need to have to move those types of players on. Harry Maguire has to be moved on. Harry Maguire is someone that looks like he's accepted that he doesn't have United's future. He doesn't look like someone that's playing for United's future. And rightly or wrongly, and I've said this before, he brings a nervousness to United's defendant. What happened at Sevilla on Thursday never happens to Martinez. Yes, De Gea gives him a bad ball. But there's a million other things Maguire can do with that ball and play it the way he did. Where he gave it straight to the Sevilla player. And he's done it many times. He's not good enough to play from the back. Not a bad defender in a team that plays with a low block that um, doesn't, doesn't play high. I mean, if you look at him against Forrest... He gets booked in the second minute. Where is he? He's almost on the halfway line. Now, United had won their last 11 games that he started in. But look at the opposition. He doesn't get trusted in big games anymore. And he can't play the way Ten Hag wants to play. But you think he had a good season with Solskjaer when United were playing that counter-attacking football that suited him. But once they start playing high... Maguire just isn't suited to that type of system. He doesn't have the qualities and... That's a player that has to get moved on. On the other hand, Victor Lindelof. Victor Lindelof is one of the top centre-backs that don't start in the country. If you can get a player of that calibre, and this is what I'm talking about with a squad, right? if you can get a player of that calibre that will sit in the bench and come on and play 15, 20 games a season for you, you are very, very fortunate. Is um, I can't remember the last time... I looked at Lindelof in a game and thought he's a liability. 
you know, um, I don't think he pairs up well with with um, with Maguire. But play them with a play him with a left footed centre back like he did yesterday with Shaw. He's much better on that right hand side than Maguire. I would keep definitely keep Victor Lindelof. Um, there's other things that we talk about um, with the potential takeover, which is dragging on, which is becoming a real nuisance, um, not just to fans, but I guarantee you that's a sentiment of people inside the football club. Um, and I'm not just talking about the players. Anyone who's ever worked for a company that's in the process of being sold will know it's an unbelievably stressful time because you don't know if you're going to have a job at the end of it. You don't know what... Your workplace is going to look like at the end of it. You, there's just so much uncertainty for you and your family. And I can guarantee you that's how a lot of employees inside United feel right now where they're concerned about their future, they're concerned about their jobs, there's tremendous uncertainty about the future. And that, to me, when the, gla the Glazers, we know how they feel about you and me. We know how they feel about the football club. We know how they feel about the fans. But, but they owe those people that work there a little bit more respect than that. They owe them some certainty over their future. Clearly what the Glazers are doing is trying to squeeze every possible penny out of the football club. We know that. One of the biggest concerns, of course, is will they sell a minority stake and stay? And nobody can say for certain what, what's going to happen there, but possibility and probability are different things. And when you look at the probability, you say, okay, I'm not a financial expert, but let's look at the basics. So the family owns 16% of the football club. Between that, Joel and Avram own 23%. So they have, the way the bylaws of the company work, they have complete control of the football side, 98%, but not of the financial side. So the financial side is much more equitably distributed across the family um, <clears throat> in a way the football side isn't. The four siblings have wanted to sell for a long time. And the Glazers have been offering minority stakes in United for years in an effort to buy out the siblings and had no success in doing so. <laughs> this is a football club that, unlike Liverpool, who could sell a minority stake because they're 100 million in debt. They aren't leveraged to the hilt. Their ownership structure is completely different. So... If I'm an investor, I'm looking at Liverpool and going, okay, I can see a potential return here because they're not leveraged, they're not paying massive interest fees. I can see profit. I can see where I get a return. But I look at United and I go, well, I'm going to buy a minority stake and let's assume that the siblings dilute their stake. I've got a stadium that can barely pass safety standards um, that needs at least a billion and a half investment. They're in a billion in debt, so there's two and a half billion. Um, they need investment on the field. So, Shaka, you're looking at about at least a billion to clear the debt, a billion and a half for a stadium, so about three billion, right? There are thereabouts before you have a thriving business football club. Now, if you're the Glazers and you think, this football club's going to be worth 10 billion in five years. <laughs> Why wouldn't they invest their own money? Why wouldn't they do what a Bramwich did at Chelsea and loan Manchester United money? 500 million of their own money would solve the problem. They could clear the debt, 
borrow money for a stadium and in five years realize the the the, the appraised value that they think United are going to be worth 10 billion um, that would surely to anyone with a business brilliant be the most intelligent thing to do because that's the cheapest thing to do if I'm sitting on an asset it's a 5 billion asset and I think it's going to be worth 10 billion and for me to get that asset functioning properly, I just need to clear a billion or 500 million worth of debt, right? There, there are birds. And I have the assets to borrow money against that. Personally, I do it. Because if they sell part of the football club to potential investors, they have to invest that money back in anyway, right? They have to give those potential investors a return somewhere. Where's the return coming from? It's not coming from the revenue because United don't make any money. They made six million uh, in the last financial their, their last financial quarter. Prior to that, they couldn't pay dividends. They hadn't got the money to buy a striker in January. Um, the 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 debt is at an unsustainable level, um, and you're going okay. Where do I realize a return of my money? And the siblings are looking at this going, well, if I'm going to sell my shares and right now I've got someone willing to pay me a billion for my shares, six billion, the price being a billion each. Um, why would I sell it to a minority investor for less? Um, and if even if even even at that, a minority investor is going to have to pay four billion for a minority investment. Who's doing that? And even then, if they did, that would leave Joel and Avram at 23%. So they would be the minority owners at that point. And I don't know anyone that's handing the siblings a billion each to then let the Glazers retain control of the football club and run it the way they want. Remember, they're going back to the market with cash in ha uh, cap in hand because of the way they've run this football club, not because they're investing in other areas. I mean, if it was just a stadium that they needed money for, they may get that because you could justify that on the back of new revenues, everything else, right? Okay, but they're going to the market and asking for money because of the disgraceful way they run the football club as, a, a, as nothing more than a vehicle for their own self-enrichment. Usually, venture capitalists don't invest in those types of businesses. United may be a massive football club, but they're a relatively small business. So, it's massive risk with very little potential for return. And whatever happens, the Glazers have to dilute ownership. The Glazers have to invest money that they would make of diluting that ownership back into the club. The four siblings don't want to do that. So it's a logical extrapolation that the only thing that's going to happen is a sale. And it has to happen. United should have been in the process of being sold right now. Eric Ten Hag has enormous work to do this summer. And if you speak to people in football, um, they will tell you that, um, you know, listen to Eddie High yesterday talk about how long it takes to do big deals. Well, if you've got an asset in financial limbo, you can't sell anyone because those are listed as assets in an appraisal. 
So if the Glazers turn around and say, we're going to sell Harry Maguire for 30 million, and the owners go, well, we think he's worth 15. You know, he's not yours to sell. You can't do that. You can't recruit because are you borrowing the money? Which means you know, have to go to the bank and ask for that. Or that you're spending on players, is someone else funding it, someone else writing the checks. You can't make promises to players. United want Alexis McAllister. Liverpool, I've been told, are ahead of United in that deal because United aren't in a position to make promises. You know, people in key positions of the football clubs are the one most under threat. Richard Arnold, John Murray, people that make key decisions. Because those are decisions that could change when someone buys a football club. And those relationships are key to signing players. As we've seen with Woodward, even if you give people a blank check, they don't have relationships, they can't close deals. Right? So the people in key positions of the football club will be the ones that are most uncertain. They're the ones that can't make long-term promises because they don't know if they're going to be there to fulfil them. And the agents aren't taking long-term promises off these people because they have no guarantees either. Players want to get their future sorted now. Guaranteed Ten Hag cannot recruit anybody with any confidence because part of his recruitment is going to depend on who he can sell. Whether you need to get bought or not. Even if they get bought, the squad's small. If you let a player go, you have to replace them. But how can you let a player go when one, you can't put a, a sale value on the player and two, you don't know if you're getting a replacement. So sitting here at the en end of April... You know, not knowing what your, what, what, who your major signings are, are going to be. It's similar to what they were last season. I think it was April when they were interviewing Ten Hag, there or thereabouts. They didn't give him a sentence for the last two weeks of the window, more, more or less. And it cost you needed. So the limbo financially, structurally, in every other way, is extremely debilitating, very frustrating for Ten Hag. Um, very frustrating for players because um, there'll be a bunch of players that will want to leave of course but nobody can tell them anything um, how do you have adequate preparation like that once again I can see United being in a situation in the summer where they're scrambling mid-July for players that um, they never really wanted I really hope that doesn't happen but um it's not like the Glazers are doing anyone any favours. I do think the football club will get sold. Um, I don't see any potential way they can sell a minority investment. I think they're also consciously aware of <clears throat> the reaction of fans. Don't believe for one minute that the Glazers aren't concerned about how you react. That was evident with the Super League. They backtracked immediately, made all sorts of promises they were never intending to keep. I understand that. They were bad time. Um, with with fans and I can assure you any potential investor in Manchester United cares what the fans think there is equity that's where you're making their money so imagine you're saying to potential investors buy a partial part of this football club but I don't really care how your consumers think and I don't think so I don't think United are sitting in negotiations with sponsors saying we don't really care how our, how our consumers think you better care. That's what you're selling to sponsors. Um, when you look at uh, United's uh, Adidas deal is up in 2025. 
those usually get negotiated at least a year and a half out. So that's up for negotiation around about now. Uh, they said the team viewer back in what, October, as soon as we replace the shirt sponsor, you can go. Well, shouldn't sponsors be lining up down the, down the street to sponsor the biggest football club in the world? Doesn't seem like they are. The last two shirt sponsors have found no material value in that sponsorship. They have been renewed. Uh, Xavi sacked the guy that negotiated the deal a year after he did it. Team viewer, you know, I assume that when they're investing in sponsorship partnerships, they do a proper due diligence and see where it adds value to the company. Clearly came to the realization that it didn't add value. And the thing that's fundamentally different from the protests in the past that scares the Glazers is that sponsors are easily accessible on Twitter. You go back to 2012, back then, Twitter was in its infancy. And it was much easier to say, commercial partners, this is just a militant group of our fan base. We've 770 billion supporters and they'll all buy your stuff. Don't worry about them, they're irrelevant, small. But now that's harder to do. Because as soon as United announce a sponsorship, and they have to make a big deal out of any commercial partnership, they can't do it silently. Otherwise, what's the point? The inevitable reaction happens. And it doesn't take much. You know, if you're a guy sitting behind a desk getting bombarded by 100 messages a day that are extremely virulent, that are extremely, um, you know, explicit, and all with a consistent message about not supporting the owners of the football club and you won't buy the product because of it, especially if it comes from some big accounts. People soon ask, why are we paying for this? We have other options, we have other football clubs, we have other teams we can do this with, we don't need to do this. So, um, you know, that really limits their ability to generate revenue. Football clubs really only have a few areas they can generate revenue, match day revenue. Um, we saw during COVID how much it hurt United not have a match day revenue. So if the fans protest, don't buy stuff that has a material impact on United. Um, it has uh, television revenues, obviously the biggest. But the streaming bonanza never happened because piracy is too easy. Um, competition revenue through being successful, which is no guarantee. You know, United are not still not in the Champions League where the real money is. Um, and then, of course, other uh, sponsorship, you know, stuff like that. So there's not massive amounts of revenue streams that are easily protectable from angry fans. So Glazers are going to find it really, really hard to put that cat back in the bag now that it's been out. And I do believe, you know, given the current financial crisis, the fact that um, you know federal government rate interest rates again. The debt is increased due to the currency uh, valuation changing between the dollar and the pound. Um, the club is leveraged to the hilt. Um, you know, with all that uncertainty, they would have to be pathologically insane not to take a six billion pound offer. That offer might not be there a year from now. And who can forget Richard Arnold's comments a year ago, where it was all led bare, where he said you can't go to Carrington. And ask where's that billion we spent? You can go to Florida, mind you, and find the other billion and a half that they took. Sure. 
But you can't go to Canada and find a billion that they spent, that they squandered, that they wasted because they refused to listen to people that knew what they were doing. Refused. So, <clears throat> the, you know, back then, what do you say? The money's there this summer, but after that, that's it. So, you were told a year ago the situation they had to find themselves in. I mean, if the Glazers were really thinking about selling minority state and continuing to own this football club and were mostly invested in the football club, they'd have given 10 hot money in January. If you look at Wrexham, for example, it's easy to be cynical about that. But there's an example to me how you own a football club. People with big, big profiles, big platforms who immerse themselves in the local community who listen to local people, who learned about the culture and the values of the football club, who are completely emotionally engaged in the success on the field, that have brought a scrutiny um, and an attention to the league that other clubs are benefiting by. Ryan Reynolds out tweeting stuff about buying season tickets from Nats County. That's how you own a football club. They're completely emotionally engaged in Wrexham being successful. That, to me is an example, not just of the Glazers, but anyone who wants to own a football club, right? Feel it like a fan feels it. And that's all we ask, right? We don't, you, you, you don't have to be Gandhi. You don't have to be Mother Teresa. None of us are angels, right? Obviously, there's the different degrees of debauchery, which it gets to a level where it's unacceptable. But please invest in the local community and care about the things that matter to the football club. Um, depending on who you believe, depends on um, uh, was it? Uh, who's going to buy the football club, whether it's the Qataris or Sir Jim. I've been told both, been told neither, all sorts of stuff. Uh, it's head spinning, to be honest. Um, but I would be surprised if, especially when you look at what happened with Elliot. Um, at Milan, if it ended up in a minority ownership partnership with the Glazers, I mean, they're completely toxic to the brand, and uh, I just don't see where that incentive is, and that incentive hasn't been there for years. Uh, let me read some of your comments here. Uh, Glazers, wait, DSL come to fruition eventually? I don't know if it will, and um, you know, even if that does happen, it's still years away. And there's a lot can happen between now and then where the Glazers could easily find themselves in a very difficult financial situation. People don't realise how close they came to doing a Hicks and Gillette in 2012. They refinanced right before, a couple of months right before Hicks and Gillette tried to, and just about survived it. So I'm not sure that's a certainty. Uh, also, David Heller's article on American investment policies. Yes, I spoke to David when this first happened. I have no doubt that there's people on the Glazer side leaking that who would like people to believe that. I would be doing exactly the same thing. You know, to if you're a potential buyer of a football club, there has to be some incentive to continue to increase your bid. That's their job. Um, the Glazers clearly, um, you know, they, they clearly uh, made sure that those other interested parties were muted and no longer... Um, talking to the public, there's a reason why it's been quiet, um, but um, I still believe 100% that that football club will be sold for the reasons that I have already outlined, 
Um, the obviously the summer underneath the the, the the striker situation has to be addressed this summer. You know they have to move quickly on that. Um, I don't believe it'll be Harry Kane for some of the reasons that he outlined, unless Harry Kane really makes an issue of, uh, and, and I still think it would be really difficult and messy and something they don't want to get involved in. Um, they know what Daniel Levy's like, and they can't be in a situation a week before the end of the window where they're still negotiating with Tottenham, no matter they can get the striker out of there. That 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 uncertainty can't happen. Uh, every United Centre up front is going to be key to how United prepare for the season. So I think it'll be someone where they are a little bit more confident of getting. Um, obviously, if they avoid defeat against Spurs on Thursday, I'm pretty confident they'll qualify for the top four. Top four, two finals. Uh, one trophy I think is a very successful season for Ten Hag um, I I think he's done an exceptional job to be honest um, one of the hardest things in football is consistency or the hardest things in life is consistency it's really difficult to maintain high standards every single week in your life whether it's through your diet, sleep, mental preparation just the natural vicissitudes of life mean that it, you can't be 100% every week and when you need to drop 5% the you know you see it and uh ten hag probably won't get that consistency that city have until he has a complete squad so we think some of the things that we've seen this season we needed to be poor probably not that surprising uh, what is that you're permitted to tell us what the initial reaction was uh yeah it all depends on who you believe here mate so i have information on my phone um from people that i trust um that i can't say too much about but I've hinted at in here um, these are people that came to me in July uh, and told me that you know they were for sale and I ignored it to be honest because I've heard it so many times in the past and it was wishful thinking I thought um, I don't think that's correct they came back to me again and I started to look into it and started to get some hard information that um, triple sourced it. Um, it was from really, really intelligent people who don't indulge in transfer rumors, who don't indulge in even, they want anonymity um, and uh, aren't the type to, you know, to, to uh, give you this type of information unless there's anything to it. And, um, you know, these are people that I trust so, uh, I, I do believe, like I said, it will get sold, but who knows for certain. Um, we will see. Uh, do you think their bids will be before Friday's deadline? I think that um, they already know what those third bids are going to look like. I don't think anyone's waiting to the third deadline. Um, and I think the Glazers already know what they're going to do. I don't see it being dragged out much longer than this. Um, I think there's probably a fear that, that some of those buyers may pull out. The Glazers need those buyers, they need at least two of them to push the price up. And I think, you know, there's a fear that um, some of these guys will just get fed up with this and move on. The longer they hold on to the football club, the more it drops in value because whoever buys it are going to want to plan for this summer. Um, so April is about as late as you can leave that. Um, and like I said, there's going to be key people inside United that are going to want clarity on their jobs that they could easily lose because there's other clubs that want these 
people that work in recruitment, there's other people that want these people that work in you know high-end positions at United where they have other options and they're not going to stay with this level of uncertainty forever either. So I really don't think they'll they'll drag it out much longer than that. Do I think that yeah I do think they'll get their six billion. Um and I think the the club appraises obviously for a lot more with a full sale than what it would with a partial investment. Um you know, if I rent a room from a house, it appraises completely differently the square footage than what it would if I buy the house. Simply for the obvious reasons. I gotta live with someone, I gotta live under their rules. All the things you don't want to do, that rented space is completely different from owning it. And so I do think the club will definitely get sold. Um, and I, I think uh, that's part of the reason, is it just appraises far higher in a, in a full sale. Well, it's, um, was this? I've just explained that, mate. So do I think there are bids? I see rumours are, so Jim Radcliffe is out of the race. Um, yeah, I don't know. I'm not going to say anything with any, any certainty. So... We'll see what happens. Um, obviously, I'm not going to tell anyone how to feel about the situation. I have my reservations about both. Um, what I will say is that when the Red Knights were looking at doing that takeover of United back in 2012, um, they had sourced Qatari money for that. So there certainly wasn't a reaction then to um, the Qatari money. And maybe that was just because um, the people wanted as a war. I don't know. I really don't know. I can't speak for that. I've made my feelings on this clear. It's a very difficult topic to talk about, um, especially on Twitter, where nuance is very difficult. Um, you know, uh, I, like I said, I have my issues with, with everyone involved, and I think everyone should be scrutinised uh, equally. Um, uh, but... Uh, yeah, I, 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 we'll see what happens. And if it is, end up being the Qataris. You know, here's the thing about football. United fans have had to separate what happens on the field from their owners for a long time. And I'm capable of doing that. Uh, I won't say that I particularly like uh, any any sporting institution I own being owned by people. Um that uh, I vehemently morally disagree with, whether that's Jim Ratcliffe or whether that's Qataris. Um, but I'd be a hypocrite, you know. I own an iPhone. And I'm well aware that there's, you know, slave labour being used to build iPhones and people throwing themselves off buildings to do it. And I get around that moral dilemma out of selfishness and convenience for myself. Not well, I mean, anything else is a lie. So, my moral consistency, you know, is not what's at stake here, obviously, but I, you know, as, as human beings, we're forced to make these decisions every day. I'm not, I, I, I'm not saying it's right. I'm just saying, you know, I'm not going to proselytize anyone. That's up to them to, to, to do what they want to do. Um, uh, and none of us are, are perfect, so, um, but uh, anyway, we'll see what happens there. Um, United obviously have a big game on Thursday away to Spurs. Um, probably the worst possible result for United was this match against Newcastle, but in the same sense, I still don't feel it's, it's Spurs 
the Conte sacking was going to do one of two things. It was either going to galvanise him for the end of the season or it was going to help him fall apart. And I think I'm looking at a Spurs team where a lot of the players want out and aren't invested in Spurs' success. Spurs, United should be able to go to Spurs and avoid defeat. If they do, they'll qualify for the Champions League. I'm certain of it. Um, it would be nice to get that wrapped up with a few games to go. Uh, you still want to go into the cup final on form, so you'd want to rotate too much, but it would be nice to get a couple of players to rest rested. I wonder if there's a chance Martinez could be back by June 3rd. Um, it was six week Matt at Horsel. I was reading that Varane would be back, um, Garnacho would be back. Um, but like I said earlier in the podcast, you had a beat City at Old Trafford with Luke Shaw at centre back. So it's not the end of the world if he doesn't, but it would be great if he is back. Uh, Wamba Saka is a guy for me that if you'd asked me a question in December, January about Wamba Saka, I'd have said he needs to be replaced. I think I'd replace Dallo before I'd replace Wamba Saka now. Simply because Wambasaka on one on ones is the worst player in the league to be up against. He's a nightmare, you know. Uh, and I think he's actually played quite well. Yes, he's poor going forward. There's no question. But I can see a lot of situations in games where maybe United are, you know, like Newcastle against Anson's uh, at maximum, uh, you, where you can bring him on at half time in a game to mark a player out of a game. You know, if you're winning one no, you know, you know you're going to be under under threat away from home. Um, very few players you want more than one-on-one situations in one Bissaka. I would keep him. Um, I've already said I would get rid of Maguire. De Gea will probably get a stay of execution because of budgetary reasons, because United are obviously going to spend most of their money on a striker. They want another midfielder, of course. Um, and I think that's something that will get addressed the following season. Um, I think he will get another year at United. And... I think that they'll look to do something about that the following season. Uh, obviously, Van de Beek should be moved on. I would not sign Weghorst. Um, you can't sign Weghorst on emotion. Yes, the big man you know, he's committed to a football club. It's great to see him emotionally involved and all that there. But a Manchester United player has to be more than someone that can press. Um, uh, I'd never like the criticism of Ronaldo solely on the fact that he couldn't press because he could finish. If a goal scorer can't finish, I look at so many games this season, Southampton at home, United yeah, have a goal scorer, they win that game. Leeds at home, United yeah, bring on, put Rashford down the middle, take the course off, he scores immediately. Leeds away, you know, Rashford scores immediately, put down the middle. Um, you know, to me, you can't have a guy up front that doesn't score goals. Not at a football club this size. Because there's too many games where that costs you. And you look at how many games United have drawn. Stupid games. Or lost by a narrow decision. By a narrow goal. You know, where a goal score would have made all the difference. You know, fill him away. You know, I know he wasn't at the club. Garnaccio comes on and scores a goal. You need goal scores in this situation. Aren't they? Martial's just someone you can't rely on. You know, you can never go into a season assuming that guy's going to be fit for a single game of football. And I lament Phil Jones' situation because it's on, you know, no footballers don't choose to get injured and it's, it's devastating for them. But I don't even think Martial trusts his body. He was off against Sevilla, an abundance of caution. You know, if Martial doesn't have the injuries that he has, he probably plays through that. You know, probably let him play through that. Um, you know, he was poor 
against the away, he was poor at the weekend, no doubt. Uh, his movement he didn't look fit to me. Same with Rashford, to be fair. When you're a top club, you can't have that. I mean, you look at City, they've got Alvarez and they've got um, Holland. You know, Alvarez would have been starting almost every week for United. Their backup striker would start for United. Um, you know, you look at these top clubs that all have these abundance of options up front. You know, you, you can't be sitting going into a season relying on Veghorst and Martial. Truthfully, it's a miracle that Ten Hag's achieved what he has with that option up front. You know, Martial has got tremendous talent, we know that. But he hasn't finished the Premier League game in two, over two years. You know, I mean, that that's just so unbelievably tragic. So, I don't think they will move him on the summer simply because I don't think anyone else can take him. Um, it's hard to get someone to take a player. Maybe they could move him on if they pay his wages and someone will take a risk on him. But, where? You know, a t he's going to want to go to your top team. Top teams are not going to take a risk on Martial for the same reason that it shouldn't take a risk on him. Is that, he, you know, if you bring him in as a backup striker, you're quickly down to one. If he gets injured, which is a high probability. Van de Beek, I would probably try to do something with Ajax, where maybe you get Mohamed Kudos, someone like that, and say, we'll give you Van de Beek back plus money. I still think, you know, Van de Beek would be a really good player for Ajax. You know, when Daly Blind went back there, was a really good player, he's a Bayern Munich guy. So I, I still think he, in the right environment, could be a really good player for Ajax and worth taking back. He's still young enough where that would make sense. So I could see something like that happening. Um, Jaden Sancho won the fans about it. It's a great penalty yesterday, delighted for him. Uh, clearly, for me, with, with Sancho, the problem is mental. Um, identity crisis. You know, is he a winger? Is he a number 10? He's probably neither. Um, clearly suffering from confidence. But what I will say in Sancho's defence and Anthony's defence, they're often judged by assists. But assists is a story of, that, that, that is of two parts. To get assists, you need a striker scoring goals. You know, I think it was Jose Luis Brown gave the ball to Maradona for his second goal against England in the 86 World Cup. Technically, he got an assist. So, if you want to you know, judge someone on assists, you also have to look at the striker. And if United are playing with a top striker, Anthony and Sancho would have significantly more assists that boosts their confidence because they know they're getting judged on that right um, when you have a striker you're throwing the ball in they're pushing it away they're hitting at the keeper that affects two people it also affects the number 10 I think that you would get more of Ericsson I think you would get more of Bruno Fernandes I think you get more of Sancho I think you get more of Anthony um, if you've got a hurricane or an awesome as a number 10 no question right so, um, you know, United would win more games, which would bring about more confidence. Um, so I, I think that it's a bit unfair to judge them on assists when United don't really have a striker. Um, you know, Rashford is chipped in with all the goals, but he's essentially a left winger and, or an inverted forward, whatever you want to call him. So um, I would give Sancho another year playing with the top striker. And... Um, you know, if you look at who he was playing with the Dortmund, and he was playing with Holland, you know, um, that's when you saw the best of Jaden Sancho, when he was playing with top strikers. And I think that'll happen. Yeah, I think that he's clearly dealing with stuff, mental stuff. Um, he's clearly a kid that's struggling with confidence. And I think um, 
that will improve with better strikers. If he didn't deliver next season with a better striker, then I agree that you know they would have to make a, a decision on him. Um, and you know there there seems to be a bit of a line that gets blurred sometimes between people that you criticise a player and say they're not good enough for Manchester United. Occasionally, I get this coming back at me: is that what about his mental health? And I, 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 I'm, as anyone knows me and knows I'm a massive advocate for mental health. But let me just say this. If I show up at Old Trafford and Eric Ten Hag says, Son, you're not good enough to play for Man United. That's not abuse. <laughs> There's kids that are hearing that every single day in United's academy. It's not abuse. That's an acknowledgement of a reality. It's different if you're targeting someone personally and going after them personally, then fine. But this is the highest level. And very few people, less than 1% are good enough to make it here. That means 99% of footballers are going to hear that. You're not good enough. It's not a feeling in life that you're not good enough to play for Manchester United. Few people are. But they shouldn't be infantilized to the point where they shouldn't be told or criticized for poor performances. You know, so uh, to me, I think um, it's hard to see where some of these players who clearly aren't good enough United, you know, there's Tallis shouldn't be at the football club. Dean Henderson needs to be sold. Should have been sold last year, really. Um, Eric Bailly needs to be moved on. You know, um, there's a number of players that um, are, aren't good enough at this level. And the jump between under-23 football and Premier League football is massive. Know, so I think some of those players have to be moved on like I said earlier I would like to see Diallo be brought back um, and uh, maybe they should have brought him back in January uh, I think if they'd have foreseen the Granacho injury they would have I think Alanga has to be moved on uh, Everton wanted him last season on loan they couldn't really FFP buy him um, but you know it should have no problem selling Anthony Alanga this summer needs to be moved on 100% um, you can only judge players through games. There was moments last season where he looked promising, um, but this is a much easier United team to look good in, and he hasn't done that, especially playing up front. So, um, this guy loves down in the chat. <laughs> um, have a cigarette. You got anything stronger than that? <clears throat> I know I've been known to partake in a few. Uh, <laughs> you mind altering substances from time to time um so uh dm me if you got away <clears throat> um oh no it's I'm joking calm was a police informant and he listens to these podcasts so don't be uh just joking mate swear to god <clears throat> um but um normally i switch swiftly moving on to some uh, to, to other topics of um like as we said this weekend the spurs this weekend i, I think they will go and get a result and uh, I, I don't see any issues there. Um, the waveform is obviously a big concern. They haven't been good enough. Oh, oh I knew you meant that. <coughs> um, <coughs> I just uh, confessed a crime there for no reason. This is not good. Um, it's, as you can understand, I lost my train of thought there. Um, this is why I shouldn't do these podcasts alone. Um, anyway. Uh, I have to say at this point, I would have taken two finals. Um, I was really happy with how United played yesterday in, in one sense because I, I 
did go into that game with trepidation, thinking they were going to lose against a very good Brighton team. Uh, they were probably second best. And I know all fans think this. And we're probably wrong most of the time. But when I watched that referee in performance yesterday, and I watched Craig Pawson refuse to book Brighton players, books Casemiro, doesn't book a stupid young for blatantly holding Wan-Bissaka back. It's the most simple yellow card. Doesn't book Webster, who accumulation seven, eight, nine fouls. And there was a moment when Casemiro was booked where he went in for a slight tackle on Caicedo and I'm going, no, 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 no. And you just know if he'd have caught him, he's off. Matoma goes in on the hair. The ball's long gone. Yellow card. You know, we had Stuart Robson commentating out here with uh, John Champion, I think it was. Stuart Robson's like, the referee done him a favour. That first game against Sevilla, where Lamella does... Casemiro turned out to be very important. Somehow doesn't get sent off for that. Truly unbelievable. Had a big impact on the game um, and on the tie. And uh, you're looking at this and you're going, you know, I'm sure all fans think this, but uh, but, but not without reason. You know, the Anthony Taylor performance, it's a Hampton handball. I'm watching handballs in the Premier League being given for nothing. You know, Blade, you know, the same weekend Mo Salah gets a penalty f at, at Bournemouth for what looked like an accidental handball and he ended up being very unfortunate with injuries very unfortunate with refereeing decisions that have gone against him people say it's even self out over the season which is total bullshit does not and there's no question there's a national media narrative that if he needed to even get a, uh, a third decision I mean, you take a look at that Arsenal game at Old Trafford when Ericsson's fell in the build-up. What was the narrative? Well, it was a foul, but shouldn't have, should have just let it count anyway. Nick Pope gets suspended for the Carabao Cup final. What was the narrative? Should just let him play anyway, it's not fair. Remember the last time they said that about Casemiro? Should just let him play against Newcastle the way anyway, it's not fair. And then here, I'll sure say it. Yeah, I won't say that. Um, you know, Rashford and that's a hunting game. That's a penalty. Bazuno takes him down. Nothing. Garnacho, you know, was out for mo what, two months because of a scissor tackle. I mean, we're mentioning it. No one else is. Um... The only one I can think of where United got away with one was Sabitzer against Leicester, where he should have been sent off, I agree, where he was, his feet was high. But other than that, it is it goes against United over and over and over again, and it never gets mentioned. So I worry about that cup final, um, especially if City are on for a travel where... The media will be salivating for City to get that trouble. And if a dubious decision gets given, we need to deny them. The country will come to a standstill. It's going to be very, very difficult for a referee in that cup final to give 50-50 decisions against City. Make no mistake about that. Um, and uh, 
I really hope Real Madrid beat them in the semi-final anyway. <clears throat> but uh, we will see. Anyway, folks, as I said, I do this podcast by myself today. I've been trying to get one out for a few weeks. So um, let me look at a couple of comments before I go. In America, looking like it's going to be a catastrophic game of Christ. Yes, exactly. And that's exactly the case, mate. Um, I try to disconnect from the headlines every day. Because it just gets so depressing. Bed Bath & Beyond, which is a big box store right here, just filed for bankruptcy. Uh, Disneyland was massive layoffs. Um, the, I've got my brother-in-law, he works in venture capital. And the stories that he's telling me are, 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 are horrifying. And there's a very real nervousness and concern <clears throat> in the financial community that a major recession was on our doorstep. Um, I own an agency that represents big companies uh, in construction and we usually get a projection of what the next six months looks like and that's quite painful. Very, very worrying. Um, my next door neighbour owns two car dealerships and the poorest guy in the street in Warburton and he's telling me that um, the default rate on car loans now is similar to 2009 um, so it's very very concerning and when that happens people with money hoard they they hedge um, and the cost of getting that money goes up to obviously combat inflation so um, I just don't see any other any I mean you have to be completely insane not to sell genetics I mean this to me was always the end point anyway it was always going to be the point where they could no longer take money out where they had leveraged every asset um, borrowed against everything possible and the stadium has a ruling against it where <clears throat> it is listed as a community asset or community I can't remember the exact term but basically what it means is if the Glazers want to sell <clears throat> Old Trafford they're legally obligated to offer it to the council and the fans first that would prevent them from um, using it as equity to get money against and the bank being a lien holder which is primarily why they fought that in court and lost so I'd say the Carrington, it's hard to see where else they would be able to borrow money against because the revenues don't support it. Um, they made, like I said, they made six million last quarter. That's not, um, it's around an hour, you know, so it's irrelevant. Um, so we will see what happens there. Let me see what else we got. Erickson, yeah, Erickson got scissor tackle, scissor tackle too. By, you know, of course, whenever Big Andy Carroll does it, it's an old fashioned tackle, you know, it's you know, big up and at him, it's no problems. Casemiro does it, you know, get him off, you know, despicable. You know, Gabriel Bonahor, you know, spontaneously combusts and um, you know, nobody nobody says anything when it happens to the other players. Um, how many centers do you think will make this summer? I feel we've been on four or five. All depends who owns a football club, my friend. If Ten Hag gets his way, I think you're looking at about five or six. Um, because I think that's um, pretty much what we'll leave so <clears throat> I think you're looking at at least another midfielder a striker <clears throat> um, another centre-back possibly two midfielders um, because I think um, McTominay could go to um, you know not because Ten Hag would want to sell him but because I think Scott you know was at a point where he wants to play every week and 
I don't think he gets, especially if United sign another midfielder like McAllister that plays in that double pivot. Um, it's going to be really hard to see where McTominay um, plays. I think Fred will have the decision to make too if United can sign someone like Alexis McAllister. And, and I think if, even if they don't get him, they'll go after him. Goalkeeper, I would be surprised about because goalkeeper is going to cost a lot of money, um, the ones that they want. So um, they'll, I think they'll sign a goalkeeper, but not a starting goalkeeper. I, I think they'll keep the hair for another year and address that next year, assuming they get all the other positions right. I mean, remember, the striker's going to cost oh, they're 100 million, they're, they're about. Um, United won't have enormous amount of financial leverage to do, even with, with FFP above that, no matter who they're owned by. And, you know, I don't subscribe to the idea that if you need to get bought by the Qataris, it's going to kill competitive balance. All you can really do in football is buy 16 exceptional footballers, but that doesn't guarantee you anything. You know, a City have found out, City and PSD can't buy a European Cup between them. You know, so um, no matter who you buy, there is no players you can buy that will prevent you from losing a football game. That will prevent you from losing against other teams that can do the same as you. Um, so I don't think it would result in killing competitive balance um, any more than the Glazers own United is viewed as a competitive barrier, as it should be, but it really is. So, yeah, all depends. So no goalkeeper, uh, anything else? Yeah, here, folks, listen, I just want to say a huge thank you for all your support, uh, your follows, likes, retweets, everything else. Very, very much appreciated. And uh, so it's taken me a few weeks to get this out, but um, it's been difficult just with, with life. Um, so, um, but I'm happy to record on my own when I need to. So thanks to all of you, and uh, take it easy. Much love to you and your families. I hope your mental health is good, your physical health is good. Take it easy, be good to yourself, and uh, hopefully they get a result on Thursday.